Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. So good. Hey, so today we're continuing our series entitled All the Feels, All the Feels, right? And we've been talking about uh, emotions and talking about how our emotions come from God and we're humans. And uh, what does Boy, it look are like? We. What's that? Boy, are we. That's right. We sure are. Very, yeah. very, very human. Not them. Right. Just you and me. Okay. Um, but what does it look like to uh, live as followers of Jesus, to really honor God, even with emotions? What does that look like? And so last week we talked about anger, and we've kind of been looking at different emotions that uh, we all deal with, and what does it look like to really uh, have healthy emotions and, and do it according to what the Scripture says. And so today, every once in a while, we like to teach together, and since it's Valentine's Day weekend, if you're like us, maybe you don't always celebrate Valentine's on Valentine's, the actual day, if you're like us, because for us, we just celebrate Valentine's Day every single day of the year, because that's just what we, that's a lie. That's just a straight up lie. Okay. That's a lie, but, but we're going to, we're actually celebrating Valentine's tonight. Yes! So I'm excited about that. Babysitter and everything. Kind of feel like you're supposed to Woo! eat Italian food. So we're going to do that. Maybe that's not the rules, but I don't know. I like that, but, um, but it's Valentine's Day, and you know, for a lot of us, that's, this is, it's a fun day, and it's a time where we can uh, honor our spouse, spouses and, and do all that stuff. But for others of us, you've walked through a tough season, and when you think of Valentine's Day, it's, maybe it's, it's hurtful, and there's memories of, of past relationships, and so maybe that's you today, and maybe you're sitting here today, and you're interested in what it looks like to you know, maybe have a spouse one day or, or wherever you're at today, because it's the Valentine's uh, Day weekend, we want to talk about this subject that we're pretty much all interested in, that is love. Love. And since we're in all the fields, it just works out. And it works out. And we wanted to give you kind of really just scratch the surface. That's all we're doing in the next 20 minutes or so. But we wanted to give you kind of a male and female perspective on this subject that affects all of us. Because here's the thing, it matters what you allow to define what love is for you. Like, like the question you're going to have to ask yourself is, who is doing that for you? Where are you getting the instructions from? What guideline, what manual are you using? Because here's the thing, instructions matter. You know, my daughter, she's eight years old, and I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but she's really interested in basketball right now. In fact, this is the NBA, you know, weekend all-star game, and last night we were watching the dunk contest, and I just feel like Aaron, Aaron Gordon, once again, he should have won that. I mean, come on. He dunked over Taco. The guy's like 7'9", and he still can't win it, but I'm rabbit trailing. All I'm saying is we, we love basketball in our house. So my, my daughter's really ex, you know, excited about it, and so we've been watching Kobe and all the games, and she's been asking questions. What's that? And I've been talking about, the, well, that, well, that's a foul, and that's a shot, and that's a pass, and all of these kind of things. And so yesterday during the day, you know, football season is over, but it's really not because there's this new, this new group called the XFL. And I did, this is something new. I don't even know. Apparently, we have a team. The team is the Seattle Dragons. I don't know what that's. It was jarring seeing a Seattle team that wasn't the Seahawks in CenturyLink yesterday. Uh, but we were watching it, and my daughter came in, and she was all like, oh, Dad, I want to watch. I love this game. You know, I'm like, okay. So we're watching it. And all of a sudden, the quarterback, who I don't even know his name is, he, 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 you know, he went back to pass, and she yelled, shoot. 
She's like, you got to shoot it, right? And I was like, no, 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 she, he's going to pass it, honey. And she's like, no, he's got to shoot the ball, right? And then all of a sudden, he, he, he threw the ball, passed the ball, and the guy caught it, and he just got laid out, talking like just a monster tackle. And she screams, that's a foul! <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's not a foul. It's a total legal hit. She's like, that's a foul, Dad. And I listened to her, and she was inserting the rules... And the, and the guidelines for a different game into this game. Right. Instructions matter. And when we're talking about this subject of love, it really matters where you're getting the playbook from. And scripture is very clear on this subject. And we're going to talk about it here, but it rubs really hard against what society has to say about love. And so today we're going to go to the manual of the Bible the guidelines of the scripture so we can really unpack and really connect with this subject of love today, Ash. Yeah. If you are a believer in Jesus, then our compass is scripture. Amen. And the psalmist says it like this, Psalm 119, starting in verse 104 says, I gain understanding from your precepts, Lord. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. And I'm going to stop there because what he's saying is, Lord, when I understand your instructions... Lord, when I truly understand what you've put before me, then I don't want to go down any other path except for what you have for me, right? And some of you know this passage. The next verse says, Lord, your word is a lamp for my feet. It's a light for my path. And there's so much power in that. And so often we do, we let other voices, we let other guidelines, we let other compasses tell us which direction, what path or what love even is. And that can get sticky. And here's the thing. I mean, I've even fallen victim to this myself. You know, there's, there's Christians that we start using the rules of another game, another team to work and to fit into the game that we're playing. Right. Like I just mentioned, and we do this with Hollywood. We've talked about this a lot. You know, when you think of the Hollywood, the Disney, the, you know, the, uh, the storybook uh, ending and all of this stuff, it's always connected around this word feeling. We're talking about all the feels. And so what we do sometimes, even as believers, we tap into this false you know, uh, guide of that love is all connected to just simply feels. And so if I don't feel like I'm in love anymore, that must mean that I can jump out of love. But scripture is very clear and it defines love completely the opposite in that love is a decision. It's a choice that we make. And yeah, there's sometimes some feelings that are connected to it. That's, that's, that's why God's so good that he allows us to fall in love and get all of that stuff. But what happens 10 years down the road when there's some real problems going on and you have based all of your love off of this dating thing that you went through, you're going to walk away from that. And some of us in this room have fallen victim to that. And, and so because you made decisions based on your feelings, you made permanent decisions that now you regret. I say all that to say we still serve a God who is, who is able and willing to heal us, even in those, those pain and that brokenness. But, 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 but Scripture is very clear. And let's go to the Scripture. 1 Corinthians is, confirms what we're talking about. If you've ever been to a wedding ever in your life, this is the verse that's probably used. And if we could just like actually apply this, not just hear this verse at the wedding, but like if the couple could really apply this, man, we wouldn't have half of, uh, you know, marriages ending in divorce every year. So look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Most of us have read this before. It says, love is patient. 
It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, meaning it's not selfish. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. We could sit on that for a long time. <laughs> Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes, and it always perseveres. So that's what it is. The question is, how do we do that? And we were talk, we've been talking about this conversation all week long. And we got to asking ourselves, like, what, 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 are, the, what are the things? Because it's not just one thing. It's multiple things. What, what are the things that keep us? What are the barriers in our life that keep us from being great lovers? I'm not just talking about romantic or in a, in a marriage. I'm talking about, like, what keeps us from loving our neighbor the very best that we can? What keeps us actually loving that boss who you can't stand? I mean, did you know that you have the capacity to actually love her too, right? And, and so the question is, how do we do that? One thing that we kind of landed on that we want to talk about today is that there's this barrier of unforgiveness that plagues not just society, but even the local church. It's, it's, this, it's this, uh, this unforgiveness that keeps us from being the very best lovers that we can. And when I counsel people or I sit with people, I get to ask, they, they want to talk about their love life or, or how they, they just can't stand so-and-so. And nine times out of ten, the conversation steers over to, I've got some unforgiveness issues in my, in my world. So here it is. If you want to be a great lover of people, uh, just be a better forgiver, okay? So now you're dismissed. Everybody leave, right? How many know that's pretty hard? Yeah. It's the hardest part. So we want to talk a little bit about today of, of breaking down the, the barriers of unforgiveness in our lives so that in turn, it will make us better lovers of people. Yeah, so three things. We have three things for you to ponder, three things for you to dwell on, three things for you to consider that's going to help you with this forgiveness deal and then in turn make you better at loving people. The very first one is consider your pardons. Consider your pardons, meaning consider what you have been forgiven of. Consider what the Lord has washed you clean concerning, right? The most famous prayer that we see in Scripture we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's what Jesus used as a model to teach his followers. When they came to him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We want to we pray like you pray. How do we do that? And a lot of us in this room know it by heart. But the very next verse after the Lord gives us that prayer model is found in Matthew 6, verse 14. And so often we tend to skip over this one. Because it's not always the easiest to stomach. Starting in verse 14, it says, for, you, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, because they're gonna, right? When you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins, Friends, I didn't write that. And sometimes that gets really difficult to swallow, right? Like, Lord, are you, are you telling me that that can actually keep you from forgiving me? And that is exactly what Scripture is articulating. That the only thing 
When we ask the Lord to forgive us, the only thing that can create a barrier to keep him from doing that is if we are unwilling to forgive others. And in the same way that you and I might have a hard time really digesting that, Peter also had a difficult time. And I can relate to Peter. I don't know about you, but but the things that Peter struggled with, like, I get it, okay? And I love that in Matthew 18, we see in Scripture, it says, Peter came to Jesus, and he was like, okay, Jesus, we got to talk. What exactly does this mean? And he asked specifically, he says, Lord, exactly how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister when they sin against me? Lord, really how many times? Like Peter was that guy. He was like taking ticks, right? Okay, one, two, up to seven times, Peter asked. And Jesus answers in verse 22, he says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And we know that in scripture, seven is the number of perfection and completion. But without looking to the original language, we miss some of the depth. Now, those of us that are above maybe, you know, first grade, we get that 77 is more than seven. Okay? We're on that page. But it's deeper than that. The picture that Jesus is actually painting for us goes so much deeper. There's only one other place in Scripture where the phrase used here for 77, there's only one other place in Scripture that that phrase is found. And I believe Jesus is referring directly to it. It's actually found in Genesis 4, verse 23. We're not going to look at it today for the sake of time, but I want to tell you a little bit about it. It's referencing a man in Scripture by the name of Lamech. And Lamech is a descendant of Cain. Now, maybe you don't know Scripture very well, and that's okay, because I'm going to tell you. Cain and Abel, they were the kids of Adam and Eve, the very first on earth. And Cain was the brother that murdered his brother, Abel, over revenge. And so if you look, you've got generations later, there's this gentleman by the name of Lamech, and he has inherited his great-great-great-grandfather's vengeance, his thirst for vengeance, and his thirst for violence. And what Jesus is saying here references something that Lamech actually says there in Genesis 4. Lamech makes the claim that he is so thirsty for revenge that if anyone does anything to him, he will come after them with a vengeance 77 times greater. And so what Jesus is saying in that moment, that every one of those disciples would have understood because they knew the Old Testament by heart. What Jesus was saying in that moment was, friends, the same way that Lamech thirsted for vengeance, you, in the name of Jesus, are to thirst for forgiveness. The same way that he was so extravagant with trying to get back at people, I'm calling you to be extravagant in the way that you want to forgive. And friends, if we can grasp that in what Jesus is articulating, 
It'll change everything. Totally. So he, he tells this very compelling story. But what I love about Jesus and his parables is that it was rare that he would move on to another subject without telling another story behind it. So he tells this secondary story to really drive the point home of the power of forgiveness in one's life. He says in verse 23 of chapter 18, he goes on to this new story and he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now realize that this amount was 20 years of a day laborer's wages, all right? This amount would have been way over a half of a million dollars. But the the fact of the matter is, it's not so much about the amount. It's more about what this servant owed and the very fact that he couldn't pay what he owed. How many of you know that Pastor JF had a debt that he could not pay, right? Speaking in the third person here. And I'm so grateful that Jesus is the one who paid for my sin, but I couldn't have done it for myself. So the story goes on and I'll just paraphrase, but you can read the details of it. Since he couldn't pay it, he was ordered to be sold into slavery, he and his family, and everything that he actually did have, it was to be sold off. And so the servant catches, you know, wind of this, and he goes to the master, and he begs the master for mercy. And what does the master do? He sees pity on him, and the master forgives him of his entire debt. I want you to know today, friend, maybe you're here and you're so rattled up in sin or brokenness or pain and all this kind of stuff. I want you to know if you're just willing to lay it at the feet of Jesus, he not only will heal you and set you free, it's his heart too. It's what he wants to do. He's a good, loving big brother. And so we see this in this story. And what's fascinating, even after this servant has been granted this forgiveness, What happens next kind of blows my mind because what happens next is how he responds to another scenario. What happens next is this servant somehow detaches the magnitude of what he had just been forgiven of. And you'll see in the way he handles himself that it's not replicated in his actions. Right. So first... You're going to consider your pardon. Friends, it is important to keep in the forefront of your mind just how much God has forgiven of you. Exactly where he brought you from. And that helps in every regard to forgive others. And then secondly, you're going to consider your practice. Everybody say practice. Practice. Consider your practice. Well, what do I mean? I mean, I want every person within the sound of my voice to understand that what you do is more important than how you feel. That's right. Think about that for a second. We put feelings on this pedestal and allow them to rule and run our lives. Friends, you always have a choice. And so I want you to consider today what you're choosing to practice. What are you making habits in your life and what power you're giving to them? So going back to the story, we have this servant that's been forgiven of a debt that he couldn't pay, right? Over 20 years of wages, it was a great debt. And we're picking up there because in Matthew 18, we find that not only 
is this servant remembering. He's not remembering what he was just forgiven, right? He's also not acting on that same mercy that he was just shown. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him just a hundred silver coins. So that's just one day's wages versus the 20 years that he was just forgiven. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. And friends, there's a principle here that we see in this story. So often we think when we hold something against someone else that we are imprisoning them. And that is never the case. In fact, when we are holding on to unforgiveness, we are imprisoning ourselves. And I like to kind of articulate it like this. There are times in our lives when we have unforgiveness that we get to decide what to do with it, right? We, have, we all have memories of the way people have wronged us. There's not one person in here that hasn't been wronged by another human. And those memories can act like a poison in your life if you decide to dwell on them and hold on to them. And I heard one person say it like this, and I love the way that they articulated it, because they said, when you have unforgiveness in your life, it is the equivalent of you drinking poison and expecting it to hurt the other person. Think about that for a second. When you are dwelling on and holding on to the way that person hurt you, it is you drinking the poison and expecting it to hurt her. And that's not the case. You are the only individual that it is hurting. And so we need to understand that in this story that Jesus unpacks, he shows that we all have a very clear choice of remembering what the Lord has forgiven of us and then also choosing whether to practice that same forgiveness with that individual that we're encountering. Look at Matthew 18 in verse 28. Actually, verse 32, sorry. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? Shouldn't you have remembered and then practiced it, right? Verse 34, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he paid back all he owed. And this, and this is scripture, this is not Pastor Ashley. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Friends, that is such a powerful message that we cannot miss. And the enemy would have us bring this poison over and over into our lives, thinking that it tastes so good, right? Don't we go back to that bottle of poison and, oh yeah, I'm going to think about exactly what they did to me. I'm going to think about exactly how they must have planned the whole thing. And we start articulating that when all the while we are poisoning ourselves. And if we consider the practice 
of actually not drinking the poison and instead pushing it away and putting on something else, it literally will change everything. Sometimes we have to do it and then the feelings will follow. Sometimes we have to act it out exactly what scripture is telling us and then maybe the way we feel will shift accordingly. Not always. How many of you know sometimes we just do things because scripture says it? Right? It's called obedience. And I love how Colossians 3 unpacks it. Look at verse 12 as the band comes back. Scripture says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's you. He's talking about you. If you are a Christian, and I love that he follows that with these two words. By the way, if you're God's chosen people, you're holy. That means that you are forgiven. Again, remembering, right? And that you're beloved, that he loves you, and we're to love others in that same way. And if that's you, then here's what you're supposed to do. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, all the things 1 Corinthians was talking about. All the things that articulate love. Guess what? You are called to clothe yourself with it. You mean wait till I feel like it? No. Clothe yourself with it. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive each other. If you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Practice. And over all these virtues, put on love. Put it on. Don't wait till you feel it. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. Put it on. Put on forgiveness. I feel like we go through this every morning with our daughter Israel. She does not like wearing coats. Anyone else have a child in the freezing Pacific Northwest and she didn't want to wear a coat? I'm like, friends, I don't care if you feel like it. Put it on. And that's what the Lord's saying to us right now, friends. It's time for you to stop waiting until you feel like forgiving. Just put it on. Put it on. Put on love. How do you do that? Well, you remember how much you've been forgiven and you recognize that the more you act it out, the more you practice it, you might just start to feel it. You know, we were even talking this week about the first time I walked in the classroom as a professor. Some of you know that I was a professor at Vanderbilt University before I was a pastor. And I remember that very first day I walked into that classroom. Can I tell you, nothing inside of me felt like a professor. I felt like a big old phony. I thought they're going to come in and arrest me for posing as a professor, right? Anybody ever felt like that? Sometimes, I mean, when we took Izzy home from the hospital, we were like, they're letting us have this kid, right? <laughs> what are we doing? Well, what do you do? Well, you wake up and you go be a professor. You wake up and you parent, right? You do it until you feel like it. And some of you need that encouragement today. This forgiveness thing, this love thing, you do it. And then maybe the feelings will follow. Yeah, you wake up and you go be a forgiver yeah. because it makes us better lovers. Mm-hmm. What you do matters. And here's, a, here's another point. Who you are around matters too. Yeah. And that's the third consideration. Write this down. Consider your people. 
Consider your people, your community matters. Let me say it this way. Maybe you've heard this. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It has such an impact on your life. And some of you just need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about the people in your life. Because there's some of us who have allowed what we like to call poison pushers into your life. I'm not talking about a drug dealer. I'm talking about people that are constantly egging you on to enter and drink from the the poisonous glass of drama, unneeded drama. Uh, uh, Just take a drink, man. Seek revenge on him or her, you know what I mean? Like, drink from the cup of unforgiveness. It tastes so good, and there's people in your life that push this on you. And you begin to do things that you would have never done, but because they said something about it, yeah, I think maybe you're right. And I would encourage you because it's happened to me too. For, for a minute, this tastes really good. But man, over time, it's a cancer and it grows inside of you. And some of you are kind of shaking your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I know what I'm talking about because this has happened to me. Yeah, I got to push, I gotta, I gotta push those, those poison pushers off of me. And how, how do I, what's part of the process of doing that? Saying, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the people that, I'm in, that are in my life that shouldn't be, that are causing me to act like this. You need to consider your people. And I love what Hebrews says in chapter 10. We're going to pray here in one second. Chapter 10, 24 through 25. He's speaking to the believer here. This is what it says. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Question, so how do we stir these up? How do we get better at loving and living out this mission? Here it is, verse 25. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Who you do life with will determine how well you live and how well you will forgive, which in turn leads to how well you'll love people. It's so important to consider our people in our lives. And this is why we believe so much in small groups. Now, this is a pretty nice little segue here. <laughs> because in just a couple of minutes here, you're going to walk out of these doors and there's tables set out up there with all kinds of different group facilitators who I want to let you to know, Pastor Eric and Stephanie, the, the organization and the love and care that they've put in to our small group ministry is just unbelievable. It just blows me away. I think we have like pushing 60 groups in this season of small groups that 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 we want you to get connected in because that's really where the healing begins. I could even argue that that's more important than this gathering here because it's hard to get vulnerable when there's a 500 people in the same room. But when you get with a group of people and there's five or 10 of you, you're able to share your story and talk about some of the areas of your life that, that you've had some challenges in or you're currently struggling through. And another person says, yeah, no, I, I was there. This is how I handled it. And that's where the healing takes place. But you have to consider who that group of people is. Is it just the people you sit around and watch the game with at the bar? (sighs) Or is it people that you're in life with intentionally doing what Hebrews says, spurring each other on and, and not neglecting meeting together? What's 
your priority in this area of community. It'll change your life. And so as we close, we're going to pray here because we want to become better lovers. And forgiveness is one of those areas that we all can get better in. And, and I love that we've touched on these three areas of considering our pardons, the sin that I myself, that the Lord forgave me of. And so with that, what am I going to do? When the person wrongs me, how am I going to respond? Am I going to go for the juggler like this servant did? Or am I going to stop and pull back and say, you know what? I was a jerk one time, (laughs) right? I was this wretch and the Lord saved me from that. Consider your practice. What you do will impact how you feel. And then finally, consider your people, your community matters, who you do life with will reflect where your life goes. Would you bow your head? Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church. 